0: Show Forty Eight Hours Investigates has done some gangbusters work on the Jambinay Ramsey still unsolved homicide case over the course of the last twenty six, almost twenty seven years. Yesterday, for those not so familiar with the case, maybe casual followers of the Jambinay case, we introduced some of you to a man named Michael Vale. Michael Vale is an individual who says that he has been haunted all of these years. By a phone call that he received hours after John Binet was killed. He says and told 48 hours about a tearful phone call received from his high school friend Gary Oliva. Michael Vale since has maintained contact with Gary Oliva for years. He says in hopes of eliciting a confession in the John JonBenet Ramsey case. According to 48 Hours, Michael Vail said, quote, I've continued this for decades now, even with him being in prison, but he has only just admitted to killing her. He believes he will go to hell if he doesn't admit to it. I have sent these letters to Boulder police and hope it will get Gary to provide them with firm proof and to name who else may have been involved in Jean Benet's death. Now, they have this, a written confession. The police need to charge Gary Oliva with Jean Benet's murder. So, a little background here Gary Oliva has been behind bars in Colorado since 2016 when he was arrested by Boulder police on child porn charges. This, according to the Daily Mail. Gary Oliva may have even taken responsibility for Jean Benet's murder. Quote, I pleaded guilty to the murder of John Binet as well as countless charges of assaults and sexual abuse against many children. End quote. That's a quote from Gary Oliva. Wrote this in a letter to Michael Vale.
1: And just so we're clear, you are making the statement that Michael believes that they need to charge Gary with the crime.
0: Correct. That's that's, that's Michael Michael's words. Saying that I've received this written confession from him. Right. Now, it sounds to me like this written confession is a little convoluted, right? And we've seen different versions of a confession or close to a confession from Gary Oliva over the years. But in this one, it sounds to me like he is telling his friend, I've pled guilty to the murder of Jean Bonet, as well as countless charges of assaults and sexual abuse against many children. And his response to that is, well, I've provided this letter, this letter that he sent to me. He takes it, a civilian, Michael Vale is taking this as a written confession. Right. And he's saying now there needs to be charges, murder charges brought against my one-time friend here. Now, to be perfectly fair and clear to the listeners, for the record, they're saying no such plea exists. Right. That he could have wrote whatever he wanted to write to his friend. He didn't He, he didn't directly tell us or or... or or stand in front of a judge and plead guilty to this child's murder. And he's never been brought to court on any charges related to John Binet, as far as that's concerned. Now, according to the affidavit, though, so this is police record. This is police documentation. So this is as about as hardcore fact as it can get, as far as Gary Oliva is concerned. The arrest affidavit says that investigators found. Three hundred and thirty-five photos that had something to do with redacted on Oliva's phone. I'm guessing that means Jean Bonnet. While that while that portion from the statement given to the public to the media is redacted, it has to be Jean Binet because the next sentence is: Some were regular photos of her, likely found online. Of those photographs, 19 were images from redacted autopsy, likely from the photographs that had been leaked to the press in years past. Well,
1: that's one of the things that makes any type of confession from anybody in this case very difficult because we have a lot of the information. So normally in cases where you have holdback information, there's so much information out there that you can anybody that researched this case could write a confession that sounds like the person knows what happened that night. Does that make any sense?
0: Exactly. No, it does. And, and here's the thing too, in all fairness, I don't know that we, that he deserves our fairness, but no, this guy is a piece of shit. Exactly. We, we know who he is. His record shows us who he is. We know what he is, but In all fairness, 335 photographs of John Binet Ramsey does not necessarily mean that he is responsible for her murder.
1: Just means he's obsessed with her.
0: This is so incredibly gross. And I told myself it's so disgusting that I wasn't going to say it here in the garage today. But here we go. To some of these pedophiles, it's my understanding, Captain, that somebody like John is, she's like, regarded as maybe the Marilyn Monroe or fill in the blank with model, supermodel sex symbol, right. Fill in the blank, you know, Carmen Electra, Madonna, Madonna, Cindy Crawford, fill fill in the blank there. Mm-hmm. But it's my understanding that to some of these pedophiles, especially the ones that, again, we talked about yesterday and we've talked about this plenty of times in the garage. These Sickos have often have a type. We know a little bit about Gary Oliva's type because one, he sexually assaulted and was convicted of a rape of a seven-year-old, right? seven-year-old girl. So that, that narrows it down a bit. And then you find 335 photographs of John Benet Ramsey on his phone. That narrows it down a little bit too. And then some of these are autopsy photos. I'm I'm all for looking at a picture of, of Cindy Crawford, Carmen Electra, fill in the blank of sex symbol, supermodel, whatever. No desire ever to see an autopsy photo of any of those individuals. So it's very disturbing behavior, of course. The other thing, too, is they're saying that they, they also found photographs of what appears to be some kind of shrine, a shrine to redacted. Which again, I think that redacted in most of these cases is probably saying John Benet Ramsey. Right. And they go on to say it's unknown where these shrines are located or if they were created by Gary or someone else. I observed, I don't know who I is. So it says I'm reading from this report it says, I observed in the contacts section of Gary Aleva's phone, there were many references to redacted. In the video section of the phone, I found several videos that were tributes to Redacted as well. Right. So are they saying that he had contacts or because it says the contact section of his phone? Are they saying that he had contacts related to John JonBenet Ramsey or the Ramsey family or persons involved in the investigation? Or it says references. So is this just in the notes portion? Who knows what's on this guy's phone?
1: Right. And here's something that I'm not that clear on is this Gary stuff is heating up again. You could say, well, the confession happened to Michael 27 years ago, but in the last year you get this confession letter, quote unquote confession letter, you get, you're getting more contact to Michael. You're getting now Michael that is working with other investigators to try to connect more dots they keep giving evidence or circumstantial evidence to Boulder PD we don't know what Boulder's doing with this information but i think it was about 4 months ago that i saw i, I was looking up the john John Bonnet Ramsey case and I saw this comparison between handwriting samples didn't know who the the who they were comparing from the little clip that was saying hey this new handwriting sample matches and so I click on it and the two images pop up and right away you're like this letter looks very similar to The ransom note, but it's a letter from Gary to Michael. And so then the Court TV and other people have brought in handwriting analysis experts. And there's a whole 40-minute video from Court TV on this where they go through and pick out certain letters and what they mean and why they might look a little different. But when you overlay them, they're basically the same. And obviously, if he's using a certain type of pin for one letter and a different type of pin for another letter, then you're going to have a couple little different markings. But they they basically say that when you go to write a letter, like just an individual letter, letter, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, that you have an entrance point and an exit point. And those are one of the main things you can use to start analyzing the handwriting samples but also like the if you make it h the distance you know from one line to another line so you got the entrance points the exit points and then you have the the distance and it's it's really difficult again all these experts when i've watched the video they've said i would like more handwriting samples but if i had to say whether or not just simply is this a match or not, the, all the handwriting sample experts that I've heard dissect Gary's letters, they say they match. But to me, I don't know if this is junk science or not.
0: I, I don't know that I would fully throw it into the junk science pile. Right. I think that the pile that it belongs in is the not an exact science. Because I'm so glad that you bring up the handwriting. Because a lot of people will then defer to they'll kind of the default on this case has been, well, didn't some didn't the handwriting experts say that Patsy wrote the ransom note? And there's I don't know. There are people out there that that have tried to explain to me that maybe the Ramses did write the note but didn't kill John Bate. That I can't I can't make that. I can't make that connection,
1: I don't know, yeah, I can't make that story make sense in my head, yeah,
0: and I'm not saying those people are wrong. I'm right. just saying I, there's no way for me to to put that in a blender together and come up with that that answer, come up with that result, so,
1: yeah, but see if you make the argument that John went to bed and John Bennet Ramsey wet the bed again and something happened and the and the and the mom hit her in the head and then realized she killed her daughter and then she did all these other steps to try to cover it up then I go okay well I can at least make sense of that story
0: well yeah but the the problem is I think that that's become kind of the default that that Patsy Ramsey wrote the letter that the handwriting right. experts said that Patsy Ramsey wrote the letter the, the other version of that is that she is most likely to have written the letter first of all not every person on the planet's been compared to that letter, obviously. And second of all, there's been many, many handwriting. I'm using air quotes here. You can't see it because it's an audio show. Wow. So you can close your eyeballs and open your <laughs> ear balls. But the uh, the thing here is there's been many handwriting experts analyze this compared to Patsy Ramsey and other person's handwriting. Right. There's varying degrees of whether Patsy Ramsey wrote this note or not amongst those experts. There are some that say she is most likely the person that wrote it. There are some that say we cannot exclude her as the author of the ransom letter. And then there are others that, that do exclude her from the ransom letter. Yeah. And where going back to your thought of possible junk science here, the reason why I don't think that handwriting analysis is junk science, and I'm going to put this in the simplest form here possible because I am nothing but a simple man, right? Yeah. Shout out to Leonard Skinner. The thing here is RIP when, when I look at some handwriting in any of these cases, the first thing that I look for is a lowercase a, because to me, there's like 50, and I, we don't need to get into exact numbers here, but let's say 50% of the population writes a lowercase a one way. And the other 50% of the population writes a lowercase a the other way. What I'm talking about here is the way that I write my lowercase a, it looks like a circle leaning on a straight line. The Other people write one that looks kind of like a backwards two without the tail. Those are two very completely different ways of making the same letter. And if roughly 50% of the population makes it one way and the other 50% makes it the other way, what you showed me earlier is an A that looks like a backwards two, correct? On both the ransom letter and from Gary Aliva's letters to his friend. So what I would say to the untrained eye, I'm not a handwriting expert at all, but to the untrained eye, I'm saying I cannot a- eliminate him. I cannot exclude him of, as being a possibility because those those lowercase A's are very they're very similar, or at least that same style. And so it's it's tough for
1: me because I don't know if Court TV contacted ten experts, and out of those experts said, well, these three can't exclude gary so those are the ones that we're going to have on our program because obviously that makes the story of hey look into gary as a legitimate suspect but i think if you don't have dna in this case and again you have to question again touch dna was it compromised? is there a mixture is there multiple people involved if you don't have that evidence that you can test against, to me, you you can start really stacking the chips up against this guy. I mean, I, I just keep going back to the fact that he was at the anniversary, and that really bothers me for some
0: reason. And and several experts say that they can put him in the area of Boulder, Colorado, and maybe within the neighborhood, within a block of the Ramsey house on the night day in question and i look captain here i just flaunted my my small brain for everybody out there to see uh-huh. it's, it's it wouldn't be a backwards two it'd be a backwards six <laughs> right like it'd be it's facing the same I think way we know,
1: i think we all know what you meant
0: but what what i'm trying to point out here is that's muscle memory what you're talking about the the point of entry and exit when when somebody puts pen to paper and makes creates a letter it's right. That's that's all muscle memory. That's something that becomes ingrained in you throughout your years. And so, yes, to me, the, those lowercase a's are similar. Can I sit here and say that he wrote that letter? No, absolutely not. But the other problem, too, here, and this, this is something that just gets completely lost in this case. Lost in
1: the sauce.
0: Lost in the sauce. And I do not know why and will never understand why when handwriting analysis has been such a topic, a hot topic of interest in this case, that this has been completely lost on on not just the public, the damn experts. The experts should be pointing this out. And some of them probably don't want to because they, you know, it is a business. They are running a business. They need to get paid for their time. They need jobs. That letter, that ransom letter, was written with a felt pen. Yes. Anybody that's ever used a felt pen knows this. When you put it down on paper and you leave it there, it bleeds. It soaks into the paper. One is not going to be able to determine the strokes that an individual is using, strokes that are identifiers of the individual making them based off of the use of a felt pen. You just can't. You are going to have inconsistencies, you are going to have fat letters, you are going to have thin letters based off of how long that felt was bleeding into that paper. Now, somebody that's reviewed a whole lot of cases, yours truly the extra extra crispy kernel here, and and we're going to hit stop at some point, and I'm going to go get crispy. Mm. But I'll tell you this, the use of the felt pen may show some level of criminal sophistication here. Meaning, the individual that wrote that ransom letter, I keep calling it a letter, which I think is proper, right? You can't call that a note. That's not a memo. That's not a note. That's a ransom letter. Yeah. But whoever used that, they chose to use a felt pen. That could show some level of criminal sophistication. That could show that that individual may have known this information this instrument, this writing instrument, is not going to come out tried and true every single time just because of the nature of the the writing instrument.
1: Well, okay, tell me if this is a dumb, dumb thought. I also wonder, is it it an artistic choice? There's other pins that the individual could have used wasn't just like there was one pin they had to make a choice does that make any sense at all to you not
0: not only that 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 brings up another great question there is there is thought and there's some evidence to suggest that that the author of that letter likely made one or two failed attempts at starting the letter and so then you go well what what we don't know what's never been reported to us were they able to determine the writing instrument used for those failed attempts, right? Did, did somebody start a letter, decide to rip it up, throw it away, or leave with it, the letter, and and then put away the pen that they used for the first attempt and then picked out a different pen for the second attempt? Right. So there's a lot of things that, that have been missed. And over the years, that felt pen thing, that that's a strong detail here in that case. That felt pen thing just kind of ceases to exist anymore when reviewing the facts of the case.
1: So for me, this is very difficult because you got to tend to believe Michael when he tells you about this phone call. And it's not like he waited 10 years to tell anybody about this. No, he was telling people right away. He was documenting this as much as he could. So that call. And then Gary showing up at the anniversary,
0: which th- there's photographic proof of that. There's yeah, there's a photograph, at least one that I've seen. So it's not a question if he was there. He was there.
1: And then I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what the next those those two things stick out to me. And maybe a distant third would be the handwriting sample because, like I said before, I even knew who they were talking about. I was going, well, that letter looks like it matches this other letter. Mm-hmm. And then somebody said, well, that, that's written by Gary. And you go, oh, I maybe that does make him a legitimate suspect. I mean, if I'm an investigator, <laughs> I'm looking into him, but I'm not looking into him in 2023. I'm looking at him right away in this this crime and i just don't understand and i I guess i will never understand why this case in particular just like there's blinders on and i think again you can make argument that there's blinders on both sides some people right away i think because your own thoughts and feelings like there's no way a mother could do this there's no way a father could do this blinders are on there's no way there was an intruder blinders on i mean it's just it just baffles me that these people that we hired to serve and protect weren't able to just follow the evidence let the evidence tell you what the answer is
0: well and when you only have one homicide in your in your city for the entirety of a year let's put as many hands on this thing as we can right it would seem like this case, which would take top priority, which I believe that it did in some form, some fashion, but it doesn't look to me like you sent a, a whole team of people out there to investigate every lead because 3000 tips coming into your tip line can be overwhelming to any agency, especially a smaller agency like Boulder. You were talking at the time, what a hundred thousand people live there. So it's, it's a, a larger town, but not, not a huge city, not, they don't have NYPD on this thing. And I just feel like in this case, a a case that was so polarizing, a case that was so much in the paper and such a media frenzy that I don't know that they fully investigated every aspect and every angle of this case. Lou Smith himself, who, a God-fearing man says that Boulder police department didn't follow up on 95% of those tips that came into the tip line. Yeah. The thing here is with Gary Oliva, I don't know if he's responsible. We know what he's capable of. We know that he's in the area. We know that that some of the, the more seasoned detectives had some strong suspicions of him. He's we're told at one date that he is excluded per the DNA, we're told Told years later that he's not been included or excluded per the city of Boulder. So I don't know what is the the actual true science of including him or excluding him as your suspect per those two different, very different statements. Right. But- With him, and we have some very, I know, Captain, right now we have some very smart guys, very smart gals out there listening, going, well, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of new news. You know, news, old news is not news. And so we got some very smart individuals out there in listener land right now going, Mr. Colonel, there's not a whole lot on this guy since 2016. Why you make such a fuss of it today? Right. Well, actually, there's a lot of talk about this guy this whole year. Now, a lot of it is not not actually new stuff. But the reason why I think a lot of this is surfacing and a lot of people are really focusing and, and honing in on Gary Oliva this year and these different news outlets honing in on him this year, I think it's the threat. It's the threat that comes along with somebody like, Gary Oliva getting out of prison.
1: Well, he's supposedly going to be getting out soon.
0: It's a mandatory release, right? It's, it's not a like, oh, we're going to put him in front of a board and we're going to decide if he has been rehabilitated or if he should live amongst the, the law abiding citizens. No, it's a mandatory release. He will be out next year.
1: Well, again, so,
0: so there's a, there's a threat level that comes with releasing somebody like him. He's clearly not rehabilitated when we when we know that he, first degree rape on a child and then he's later caught with child pornography, a lot of child pornography. He's so he's not been rehabilitated on that level. And then let's take this a step further. He has asked at least one individual, according to Michael Vail statements, he has asked Michael Vail, please send me pictures of young girls, please send me. Pictures of John Benet Ramsey, right. to which Michael Vail says, I don't, one, I'm not going to do that. But two, I don't think I would be allowed to per the law. This guy's, that's what he's in prison for. They're not going to let him receive those pictures. You know what his response to that is? Well, she's my religion. Hmm. She's become my religion. So it's my religious right to have pictures of her. You mean to tell me this guy gets back out on the streets and he's not looking for a victim? He's not he's not looking in well, the most disturbing way possible at children? Ridiculous. I, well,
1: and on top of that, he's a roamer. Yes. So where is he going to end up? Who knows? So everybody's every child is now has a threat against them once he's released. But also when people go, Well, well, maybe he was cleared, maybe he wasn't cleared. Why are we even talking about this guy? Again, our what we believe our job is is not to tell you exactly what we think and and that you should think the way we think. Our job is to try to tell a full picture of a case, and I think now twenty seven years later, you can't tell the full story of the John Binet Ramsey case without bringing up Gary.
0: I found an interesting quote from John Andrew Ramsey in direct regard about the possibility of Gary Oliva being his sister's killer. So this was a statement that he gave to an outlet called Westward. And he actually dismisses Oliva as a great suspect. And And I will read you his exact words. He says, quote, I am a numbers guy, always looking for a way to improve the odds of catching John Binet's killer. An easy way to improve the odds is to identify and investigate any child sex offenders living in Boulder in 1996. To further narrow the field, we are looking for a very rare breed of pedophile, a sadistic pedophile, a creature so craven they gain pleasure by torturing and quite often killing young children. These guys sit at the very top of a large pile of shitbirds. Based on Gary's past actions, it doesn't seem he rises to that level.
1: Right, we are back in the garage spanking those earballs.
0: cheers to all the people in the mosh pit yeah the mosh <laughs> if you're, you're in imagine- the mosh pit hey just calm down just can calm I, down already can you
1: imagine goodness if, if you were doing a live podcast and there was a mosh, mosh pit, pit going on out. yeah you know <laughs> you know you're serious all right onwards and upwards cheers to everybody
0: cheers Last week, we were so honored to have the great John Anderson on the show to talk about his good friend, Lou Smith, master detective. If you haven't checked out those episodes yet, make sure you go back and check out those episodes. They're all about the Ramsey case and Lou Smith's incredible, legendary law enforcement career. But one thing we talked about, Captain, was this GoFundMe, right? This GoFundMe was set up by Lou Smith's family. Unfortunately, Lou Smith is no longer with us. So Lou Smith's family searches for justice specifically in the John Benet Ramsey case. We have put the link on our social media accounts, on Twitter, on X, on Instagram. So please go take a look. There's been some money raised already. We want to kind of lead the charge with our listeners marching arm in arm for justice for this little girl. We have taken some of the beer fund money, and we are very proud to tell everyone that we donated $2,000 to the GoFundMe. The efforts here that are being made is to keep and continue the DNA testing to eliminate suspects from Lou's long list of suspects that he had in this case. And we've said it time and time again here in the garage. It's one of the things that we said years ago was that if you, can't, if you can't narrow it down to one suspect, at the very least you can do in your investigation is starting to exclude the other suspects because that gets you closer to the truth. So we're hoping that you will join us in that effort in getting justice for this little girl. Let's get this case solved.
1: Yeah, let's get this case solved and, and over and done
0: with. Now, when we talk about confessions, the captain, so rightfully so, yesterday said, well... Gary Oliva is not the only person to give some form of a confession, and that's very typical. You will see that in these high-profile, famous, infamous cases, whatever you want to call it. Heck, in the Amy Maholovic case, there were confessions that were deemed to be untrue. I was on the Lake Erie murder show simply to talk about one of those confessions, and it was the most bizarre thing, right? In the Amy Moholovic case from 1989 in Northeast Ohio, Bay Village, Ohio, young girl, if you're not familiar, young girl goes, she's abducted. Talk to the perpetrator on the phone who put together this ruse to abduct her and her body's not located for a couple of months. Well, after her body's located, there's some guy that jumps up in the middle of a, of a church mass and starts confessing to the whole congregation, marching up and down the aisles, saying that he killed Amy Maholovic. The police are called. He's arrested in front of the whole church, and they, they investigate this guy. They look into everything he's saying. They were able to figure out that he wasn't all there and that he did not kill the young girl. But in this case, we have Gary Oliva's weird, convoluted, very cryptic, at times, different versions of his confession, right? He's like, tells his friend, I've pled guilty to killing her. I was there when she was killed, but I didn't do it. Uh, After she was killed, she came to me, I guess, on some kind of spiritual level and revealed herself to me. All these kind of very weird, strange statements coming from a very weird, bizarre, sex offender, violent man. We would be remiss if we didn't talk about John Mark Carr as well.
1: Well, I think the problem with Carr becomes that it's hard to pin down if he would even be able to be in the area at the time.
0: Exactly. Yeah, and so he becomes of interest. This is like 10 years after Binet's murder. Investigators track him down in Thailand. He's living there in 2006. Hmm. At the time, he was also connected with child porn charges in the U.S. Those charges were dropped, but this mystery surrounding Carr at the time continued for years. It sounds to me like they they may have abandoned some of these porn charges. I don't know if it's because of, of him moving to Thailand or his possibility involvement with John Bonet, but once they track him down from everything I could see and everything I reviewed and remember from 2006— it appears once he's tracked down that he cooperated in the sense that he gave some confessions that, in some weird ways, are similar to Gary Oliva's. Yeah. Here's a quote I was with John Bonet when she died. This is what Carr told reporters after the arrest. And I remember seeing this on the TV, man. He was visibly nervous, he's kind of stuttering as well. And he's saying something to the effect of her death was an accident. Heard a very similar thing from Gary Oliva. Police say no crime scene evidence connects Carr to the crime scene. There's also some other statements that he gave regarding the child's death that don't, they don't align with, with the science and the evidence not just with the body, but also the crime scene. You know, he says in parts of his confession that that he drugged her, yeah. that John Binet was drugged, and there is absolutely no evidence to support that.
1: Well, I think the other problem too is, again, you don't find this out about his confession, but when they made the statement, the the DA made the statement, hey, we've cleared all the Ramses because it their DNA doesn't match the DNA that we have, but then you find out that the DNA that they have is possibly a mixture of multiple males. And then you find out that car is saying, well, I was there and there was multiple men there that you go, well, does that make sense with the DNA that's found? Right. You know, it's, and this guy is definitely a shit bird, you know?
0: Well, and he, he gets onto the radar because he's sending, he, you know, he's writing to somebody in Colorado and telling them that he was the killer. Yeah. And then, of course, he backpedals a little bit once talking to police and to reporters saying that, well, I didn't kill her. Her death was an accident. I was there when she when she died. Listen to this here, Captain. The news outlets were able to track down a resume for John Mark Carr. And he. we should point out that for at times he was using an alias. The alias was Alexis Valoran Reich. And they tracked down this resume because he's applying for jobs that involve him having direct contact working with children. And so this, his broad statement that he says in this resume announces, my passion is my work with children. And his resume says, the introduction, I am an energetic creative professional from America who has worked with children as a nanny and a teacher since 1997. That spooks the hell out of me.
1: Well, again, that's what we were saying is, Some of these uh, weirdos, some of these pedophiles, they they position themselves to be around children.
0: Yep. And to further back that up, he says, my university concentration of study revolved around elementary education and early childhood development. I have lived internationally in Europe, Asia, Central America, Australia, and the U.S. coast to coast. My passion is my work with children. Is he running around going from... Area to area because he's he's running from something. I mean, he there's also been reports that he was in the process of or seeking gender reassignment. And there a lot of suspicion around that was that his obsession with young girls that it's thought that maybe he would be able to. And some of this comes from secondhand from people that are saying these are his words to me. Right, where it's of the belief that he thought that maybe this would put him in a position to be closer to young females,
1: so I think a lot of people have dismissed Carr completely, which i, I don't think that's insane to do or uh lunacy thought, but you know um but you start going. Well, he he confesses one way, then he says, well, I was there, and there was more than one individual there. And you go, well, that kind of lines up with some of what Gary is saying, which then you could go, well, that all sounds like, you know, uh, cockapoo, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then you go back, and if you really study a lot of what Lou is saying, he's saying, well, there could be an intruder but there could be more than one individual. And so that puts a little more weight to what they're saying. But again, you have two individuals that seem to be also obsessed with John Binet Ramsey and this the John Binet Ramsey case. So did they get that information from Lou mm-hmm. and say, okay, well, if, if, if everybody thinks that Lou is so smart and he says it's possible that there was more than one male individual involved well then if i if i bring that up in my confession then again then maybe people will put more validity to what i'm
0: saying and you know i love to say it please don't hear what we're not saying but the thing here is captain that you cannot disregard the strangeness of the when you compare some of Carr's confession to that of gary oliva's there's some there's similarities in some of those confessions and we're not saying that they're connected we're not saying that there's any direct connection from this individual to that individual at all we're not saying that but it's right. very bizarre when you have a couple of people that are saying look here's a possibility that many have not considered maybe more than one person is responsible here and then we got these two two individuals that are saying separately independently of one another similar stories and you know, I I love the phrase crazy ignites crazy because I think it's very true. I don't think that these two have anything to do with one another, but it's just weird to me that these crazy statements given by both of these individuals independently have some similarities. So the the way that they get on to this. This uh, John Carr character is that he is like a 40, 41 year old school teacher at the time. He's. Claiming he's trying to, he's got this manuscript that he wants to get published. That's why he's sharing this information initially. And I guess it's within that manuscript that he claims to have drugged, sexually assaulted, and then accidentally killed John Binet. And of course, they didn't find any evidence at the crime scene linking car to the crime scene, there was no evidence at all to suggest that the victim was ever drugged, but it's still weird to have some dude saying this. And you know, he's sending emails using different aliases or pen names, whatever you want to call them. Dax Dax the conqueror is one dark prawns prawns i don't know alexis there i don't know how to decipher some of these words here that he's using but later individuals figure out that that the the legal name here the person you're looking for is john mark Carr. right he also wanted to start what many believe would have been a child sex cult he was working on on the forming this cult that he called the Immaculates. And there's much that you can find about speculation about the Immaculates and what they were to be or what that cult may have been. The genesis of that that B- idea. A bunch you, of
1: shitbirds, Right.
0: You can find that on the internet. I don't think that that's a mess that we want to dance in too much here today.
1: I go back to when the, the DA says the Ramsey's Anybody in that household, their DNA does not match the murderer's DNA. Mm -hmm. But then you read more into that there is some kind of mixture and maybe more than one individual. Again, I don't know if that gives validity to their story because they could have read that stuff themselves and then use that to their advantage. But maybe we're not looking for one killer. Maybe we're looking for multiple killers. And that makes the case even more complex. Because again, we, we, we don't know if the intent was murder or if the intent was kidnapping and a murder took place. I mean, this case is just, it's bizarre. And I think that's why people do such deep dives on this. And and I really think to understand the full scope of this story, you have to talk about these individuals. Well,
0: and the other thing too is not just talk about the individuals, but it's it's, take the time, if you haven't already, to venture outside of the walls of the Ramsey home for a potential suspect. And the reason why we say that and we keep bringing that up is, again, some of the experts have said, there is evidence to suggest that there are, there's another solution to this problem, another solution to this investigation that does not include John or Patsy or Burke being the perpetrator or any of those individuals covering up for another. And let's point this out here: on the night that John Benet Ramsey was killed, these this family is not like. The rest of us, right? We're, we're all, most of us in listener land are going to be pretty middle-class regular people. This was a very wealthy man, a very wealthy family. He had a business that he created from the ground up, and they became a subsidiary of Lock Mead, which is a government contracted entity.
1: I think the correct statement Lockheed is, Martin, sorry. Yeah, I think the correct statement is John Ramsey wasn't a businessman. He was a business
0: man. That's right. He was a business man. He three homes, two airplanes. This I mean, most of us will never get to buy one airplane, let alone get a second one going.
1: No, and the other thing though too though that gets me is if you fo- again follow the whole story, this guy was super successful and went to the ends of the earth and drained almost all his resources to try to figure out what happened to his daughter.
0: Here's the other thing do you think that he didn't step on some necks along the way to get to where he was success wise?
1: Yeah, and he always said that you know, I think it was Lou and, and even. John Douglas that said this probably has less to do with your daughter and more to do with you.
0: And I can tell you this out of personal experience. Now, while I am not a business man, Mm -hmm. I have worked for some very successful individuals and I have seen on more than one occasion where they are threatened or accosted by somebody because of their success. To, be, to get to that level of success, you are going to naturally create some enemies. And if you created an enemy along the way that happens to be a pedophile, well, that's a recipe for disaster. And the reason why I bring up there John's success, and let's not shy away from the idea either that he was helped with that. You know, behind every great man is a great woman, probably even better woman. And in Ramsey's case, he did have help from his spouse building this, this business. But to, to, to sell and then be contracted by Lockheed Martin is a huge deal. They had hit the billion-dollar mark in sales leading up to JonBenet Ramsey's murder. And I, I point that out just to remind everybody out there in Listenerland, their home, this house that she was killed in, Regardless of who killed her, it was not like my house. It was not like your house. This house had many more points of entry than any of our homes. And it gets very difficult to wrap your head around that. But keep in mind, this this is the reported facts of that structure on the night and the morning of the time in question regarding Binet's murder. There had been two windows that were left slightly open to allow electrical cords for the outside Christmas lights to pass through. We've all, some of us have done this, right? Where you run an extension cord out through a window or through your garage door, right? And you have to leave it open just enough for that extension cord to go out there to power your Christmas lights or your Halloween decorations or what have you. So this is the report. Two windows that were left slightly open to allow the electrical cords for the outside Christmas lights to pass through a broken basement window and one unlocked door. Some reports state that that door may have been found slightly ajar. Lou Smith isn't telling you 100%. Somebody came in and killed that kid. He's saying when you fact there, here's four things that are suggestive that maybe somebody did have access to that home. Someone other than the Ramses and back to your, Very valid point here of John Ramsey and even Pat Patsy Ramsey, who's passed away, spending a lot of time and effort and money. You know, a lot of his success and wealth has been gobbled up by the murder of his daughter and the investigation and the resources that he's pushed forward to one, protecting himself legally. We're not going to pretend that that's not happened. One, protecting himself and his family legally, but also, and look, protecting yourself legally does not, we cannot assume guilt from that. Any one of us, if we were falsely accused of anything, would want to protect ourselves legally, unless you don't give a shit about your life or your family, then you do that. But a lot of his money, his his wealth, his success has been exhausted and spent and burned up by not just protecting him and his family legally, but continuing the investigative efforts on a privatized level on the murder of his daughter. And one thing that caught my eye and really kind of tugged at my heartstrings here, captain was late last year, John Ramsey sent a letter to Colorado governor, Jared Polis, who was reelected in a landslide victory in 2022. That letter from John Ramsey to the governor, current governor, is requesting an in-person meeting with the governor, as well as help from the governor in the governor's office in solving his daughter, John Binet's murder. A portion of the letter from John read, quote, I am 78 now and realize that time for answers is running out. The murder of my daughter can never be undone. There will never be peace or closure, but there can and should be justice. John Ramsey says Governor Polis responded to his letter, calling it the first communication that he has ever had from the state. Quote, gave us certainly some indication that he would like to help move the case along, John said. There were no commitments, but I was encouraged.
1: want to thank you for joining us here in the garage each and every week make sure you subscribe whether you listen on apple podcast or spotify wherever you listen make sure you subscribe and we want to thank you so much for the support for everything true crime check out truecrimegarage.com until next week be good be kind and don't win